Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Over the course of your lifetime, you personally are going to be responsible for over $1.3 million. Now that's assuming that you make $30,000 a year and you work for 45 years, which we all know is not necessarily a realistic depiction. A lot of people make much more than $30,000 and sometimes we even work more than 45 years. But if that is the scenario that we're talking about, you personally are going to be responsible for managing over $1 million. Now that's a ton of money, right? When you really think about how much money we have in our overall working career, it starts to show you how important it is to have a plan for that money. So let's say you have a company. You finally built up this company to the point where you could hire your first employee. Now this employee is going to be managing your company. They're going to help you grow to the next level. They're going to be doing a lot of work. And ultimately this employee never budgeted, they overspend, they put your company in debt, and they blew over a million dollars. Now, my question for you is, would you fire this person? I think most of us are like, absolutely, I would fire that person. Like, what the heck are they doing with my company? Why are they running it this way? But so many of us, obviously, this is an analogy for how we manage our own finances. Sometimes we don't realize that all of these steps and all of these things that we're doing are basically treating the company of you, your name, LLC, like Whitney Hanson LLC. We are treating our personal lives not like a business, but more just like something that is supposed to give us fulfillment and enjoyment and all kinds of different stuff. And what I would propose is maybe instead of viewing it that way, which money does give you all of those options, start to view your personal finances as a business, run it like it's a company. And if you can do that, I think it gives you a slightly different lens into managing your money and making it a little bit more appropriate and helping your money work for you. So that's why today's episode, I'm really excited to share with you four steps to creating a budget. Now this is going to be an overall money plan. 
If you have gotten off track with your budgeting, if you've never budgeted before, if you need a refresher on budgeting, this episode is going to be like a mini masterclass to help you understand what you need to do to get back on track. And there's four easy steps to that. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a very visual person. So I understand that for some people, this episode might be a little bit harder to follow because you'd like to see me really lay things out almost in a video format. This episode is going to do as much as I can to help you paint that picture, but I would really recommend going through this episode once and just listening through, and then going back through when you have a little bit more free time, going through each of the steps, pushing pause, writing down some things, and treating it much like a masterclass. So if you can go through these steps as you apply these to your own finances, I think it's going to be a lot more beneficial instead of just educational. I really want to give you some practical steps that you can carry forward immediately. So step one to budgeting is to pull your bank statement and or your credit card statements. Now, why are we starting with pulling your bank statement and your credit card statement? Because what we want to see is we want a really accurate picture of your financial life. We want to know where your money is really going, not where you think it's going, where it's actually going. And your bank statement and your credit card statements, they don't lie. They tell you exactly what is going on in your life. And so what I want you to do is I want you to print off a physical copy. Yes, print. I know it's a little bit wasteful of paper, but I promise it helps so much better when you do this. Of the last 30 days of your transactions. So log in, pull up your account, print it off, have it in front of you, and then grab three different colored highlighters and a calculator. And we're going to get kind of nerdy today because I'm going to have you go through what I call the bank statement exercise. This thing is the best. So basically what you do is you have your 30 day transactions in front of you. You have your three different colored highlighters. And I want you to think through three categories that you either overspend on or you just don't know how much money you spend. So for me personally, that might be eating out. It could be groceries. It usually isn't, but it's it's more of those variable expenses. So think things like eating out, coffee. Um, maybe you have like a beauty category where you buy clothes, you buy makeup. Maybe it's an Amazon category. Maybe it's a DoorDash category or a takeout category. Like whatever the heck you think it is, wherever you think your money leaks are, those are the three categories that I would write down. Now, once you have those three categories, you're then going to assign a highlighter color to that category. So maybe your coffee is yellow, your eating out is green, and your, I don't know, your beauty clothes, makeup, your self-care category, whatever the heck you want to call it, is blue. What I want you to do is I want you to go line by line through every single one of those transactions and highlight that with the corresponding color. Once you have that done and you've got all your 30 days transactions for your bank statement and your credit card statements, then you're going to look at that and you're going to add up all of those different highlighter colors. So all of your yellows equals how much money, all of your blues equals how much money, all of your eating out your greens equals how much money, add it all up. And what that's going to do is that's going to tell you how much you spent on those different categories in the last 30 days. Now think about why this is so important, because so many of us just live our financial life paycheck to paycheck. We don't really pay attention to where our money's going. We just log in and we look at our account and say, do I have enough money to buy groceries tomorrow? Great. I'm cool. Like so many of us are not very intentional with this. And part of that is because intentionality 
you have to be aware to be intentional. And awareness kind of sucks. Like it's really not a fun thing to go through, but it is a very important thing to go through when it comes to your budgeting and with your financial life. So once you have those statements in front of you, I want you to just to write down those numbers. How much did you spend in the last 30 days on those different categories? And then I want you to do a quick scan through your statement to see how much did you spend on utilities? How much did your groceries cost? Gas in your car. I know gas is expensive right now. Are you actually allocating enough money these days? Write down how much you spent on all of those different categories. Think through like your cell phone, like all of this stuff that really jumps out at you. Just make a note of that so that you are aware of how much you're spending. Once you have that awareness piece, that bank statement exercise, it hurts like hell. I'm going to be really honest. Whenever I have people go through this exercise, I do this in in in-person workshops and I do this with my coaching clients as well. It is not a fun exercise. It's not designed to be fun. It's designed to help you get an understanding of what your spending is. Why that is so important is because so many people take it to the shame spiral and they're like, oh my God, if I see these numbers, then I'm going to feel like a total idiot. But ultimately, if you don't know what those numbers are, how do you even know if you're planning for enough for your groceries or you're eating out or your self-care budget? You have no clue until you have those numbers in front of you. So that's why it is so dang important. If you need a glass of wine to go through this, I totally relate to that. I understand understand. I will cheers to that as well. I get it. It is not fun, but it is necessary. And that is step one of creating your budget or your money plan. Now to give you context, anytime I feel like I'm getting a little bit lazy with budgeting or I'm not really paying attention, I personally will go back to the same exercise and I get lazy too. Like I'm a money coach. I'm a podcaster. I talk about money. It feels like 24 seven, but even I fall off the wagon sometimes. And so anytime I feel like I just don't feel in control of my finances, I go back to this exercise and it tells me exactly where my money is going and maybe why I feel so out of control. So it's really a helpful one. Anytime you want to get back on track. Now, step two is a little bit uh, fun and kind of easy because that is just writing down your expenses. So what I mean by your expenses is I want you to think through anything that hits your account on a normal monthly basis. So we're going to do your fixed bills, things like rent or your house payment. Utilities may or may not be a fixed bill. I usually group them under fixed bills because you have to pay those regardless. Your internet bill, your cell phone bill. If you have a dog and you have to buy dog food, that kind of stuff. If you have kids that have sports or they do some type of like special events or whatever the heck they might do, you want to make sure you're including that as well. You also want to include things like holidays and birthdays and HOA fees and car insurance and your normal debt payments. I like to include just the minimum payments that I make when it comes to expenses. So just any of your regular payments, just the minimums. I don't like to include extra payments that people pay. I think it's just best to see like, what is my bare minimum budget that is a normal given month? A few other things that you might include that sometimes we forget are Apple subscriptions. Maybe you're paying for some apps that you don't realize you're paying for. Um, Maybe you have Hulu, you have Netflix, maybe you have textbooks, you're a college student, like whatever the heck your expenses might be. I want you to write those down. And then next to those, I want you to assign a due date. So when does your rent actually get paid? When is it due? When does it get paid? Maybe your house payment is always due on the first, but you have that little 
like grace period, that wiggle room where it's between the first and the 15th is when you technically have to make that payment. So maybe you find you're always paying your house payment on the fifth. Great. Write that down as the due date. Your utilities. When does your power bill officially clear your account? When does your water bill clear? What about sewer and trash? Like having that information of when these bills are due. And when I say due, I mean like when do they actually clear your account and when are they officially due? Writing down those right next to that is so helpful. So the way I, I personally organize this is I write down due date first, and the next to that I write down the expense, and then I write down how much it costs. And that is how I track everything. So for things like the variable expenses where it's like groceries, I personally do grocery shopping every week. Like almost every single week we're doing Costco in some way, or we're doing a Walmart grocery delivery. I pretty much rarely go to the grocery store unless I have to pick up a couple of random things. But I try to automate this as much as possible so that I don't have to actually leave my house. So I'll have weekly groceries and then how much do I plan for groceries? The total dollar amount. So write down all of your expenses, the due dates, and how much it's going to be. Once you have that, you are officially ready for step three of creating your budget. And that is to figure out your income. Now, this is something that I've noticed. A lot of people think that the income piece and just estimating your income is actually easy. It is super difficult for some people. It just depends on how you are paid. So there's two different types of income to consider when you're budgeting. There's fixed income, which is so easy. You just write down what's your take-home pay every single month pretty streamlined. You know, I work 40 hours. This is how much I make per hour or I'm salary. This is how much I make per paycheck. It's really quite easy to factor, but variable income is a little trickier. So I'm going to spend a, a few more minutes talking about the variable income piece because that one does take a little bit of time to decipher through. So let's think of who is paid variably. This is people, maybe it's a college student, you are working random shifts, 20, 30 hours here and there, but it's not consistent. Like every week your schedule changes. That's a little hard. Maybe you're a real estate agent and you're a commission and every time you get paid is a little bit tricky because it depends on when do they close and all of that kind of stuff. So you have to adjust your closing dates and you have to try to predict when you think that stuff is going to take place. Maybe you're a business owner like me that is very variable income, right? There's some months where you know exactly how much you're going to be making. There's other months where it might be high, it might be low. You really don't know necessarily. So those are situations where you're variable. You could also be in a sales position where you maybe receive only commission or maybe your base plus commission. Like there are so many circumstances where you're variable income. So here's how to calculate what number to actually use for your income budget. What I personally like to do is I like to look at as much data as I can. So let's assume you have a year of data. I would write down January, this is how much I took home. February, this is how much. March, et cetera, all the way through December. And I would look at how much money did I actually make. I would pay close attention to the most recent quarter or the most recent three months and say, how much on average did I make those last three months? So let's say we're going to just use some really simple, simple numbers here. Let's say you're looking at some numbers and one month, month one, you made $1,000. Month two was $1,200. Month three was $1,500. So if you take all of those, you add 1,000 plus 1,200 plus 1,500, you divide it by three, that gives you an average of $1,200 to budget with. So that's one approach. If you like to be a little bit more conservative, what I personally like to do is I look at all of my numbers and say, what is the lowest amount of money that I made in the past 12 months? 
Now, this is a little extreme. Like you can do six months, you whatever the case, it doesn't really matter. But pick uh, pick that low amount where your paycheck, generally speaking, isn't any lower than that and use that number to budget with. Now, what we're trying to do is when we're doing this, what we're trying to do is restrict our income so that we are living on much, much less than we earn. Now, this is just for a season. I don't think you always have to like deprive yourself and live like you don't have any money. That's not very fun either. Money is meant to be enjoyed. I do believe that. But why we're doing this in at least in the beginning of getting your financial life in order is because if you restrict the amount of money that you plan on spending, what that means is let's say you planned on a month of $6,000 is your take-home pay. That's like the lowest your income is. And then you happen to have an $8,000 month instead. What that does is that already showed you that, hey, I can survive on six grand. So that extra $2,000, I'm going to move that over to a savings account almost like a sinking fund, like an income sinking fund. So when you have a month that might be lower than 6,000, let's say you had a crap month and it was only $4,000 and you need $2,000 to pay the rest of your bills, you can pull from that income holding account and pay your bills so you're still on track. So that's what the whole point of this is, is it's training you to live on less temporarily while you're starting to build up that income sinking fund or income holding account, whatever the heck you want to call it, so that when those months do happen, those down months, you have money to give you some stability over your budgeting career. Does that make sense? So that's why we do that. And I think that's really a great approach to that. The other reason why I like that style is because it prevents you from tapping into your emergency fund. I have a lot of people that write in and say, well, okay, if I have an emergency fund and I have that month where I only made 4,000 instead of my normal six, can I just tap into my emergency fund? And I don't really view that as an emergency. I really don't. I think it's a problem, no doubt, but it's more of a forecasting problem and a system problem than it is an emergency. And so when that stuff comes up, like just be a little bit more proactive. And when that stuff inevitably will come up for everybody that has variable income, you're covered. You're not in trouble there. So that is how I recommend people approach a variable income style of budget. So here's a good tip too. This is just like general personal finance 101. I remember when I was working in the salon. So I used to do nails. That was my job all through college. So I did nails for Actually, it was interesting. I did it all through undergrad. That was how I paid my bills. That's how I bought my house. Like it really was such a good trade and a good career to help me through college for sure. I did that through there. And then I kept doing it through my MBA program too for a little bit of time because I mean, it was a nice income and it was totally different than public accounting. So I really enjoyed that switch. But one of the cool things about that job is I got to meet a ton of amazing people that would come into the salon and I got to spend an hour with them and just learn about them and hear what they did for work and what, you know, their current struggles were and why they, you know, it, it was just a really fun job. You were almost more of a therapist in a lot of ways. But I remember one of my favorite clients came in and I respected the heck out of her. She had an amazing career. She was very well educated. She was just everything that I wanted to be. I was like, damn, this girl's like got it going on. I love that. And she looked me square in the eyes one day and she told me, I'm going to give you a little tip with your career. Always live below your means and save your pay raises. If you can do that, you will be successful with money. And I remember hearing that. I was like 19 or 20. I'm like, huh, I think I understand. I live below my means. Cool. 
no problem. Save my pay raises. Okay, when I get a raise, immediately save it. But what she was really referring to is avoiding lifestyle creep. And I thought that was so interesting because now that I'm a little bit older and now that I work with so many people as a financial coach, I hear people's situations and I see firsthand how lifestyle creep slowly makes its way in. It's never an immediate thing. It's always very slow and gradual, but it can easily work its way into your life if you're not careful. And so that's why I really like being intentional with your income and always trying to plan on living the smallest amount of money possible with still having a good quality of life, but not taking away from your financial future. And I think that's exactly what that means. So always live below your means and save your pay raises. Every time you get a raise, pretend like you don't even have that money, just sock it away into your retirement, your investing, your real estate fund, whatever the heck it might be. That's how you can really start to get ahead with your finances. Now, I'm stepping off my soapbox for a second because I thought that was a really good tip and it's one that has always resonated with me. So let's get back to this. So step one is do the bank statement exercise. Step two is to list out all of your variable and fixed expenses with their due dates and the minimum payments attached. Step three is to write down your income. How much money do you actually make every month? Your take-home pay, not your gross pay. Nobody needs to budget with their gross pay. That's just weird. How much money do you make after all your retirement contributions, your insurance, your benefits, all of that stuff, what is your total income? Now, step four of creating your budget is to take all of this information and aggregate it all in one place. We're going to put it all together. Imagine you're in a meeting and in this meeting, your company tells you these are our hiring goals. They're very aggressive, but when everyone looks to you, you're calm. Why? Because you know you don't need a miracle, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Find great talent faster through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed data. USA. One of the things I love most about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because of Instant Match. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description and you can invite them to apply right away. It's really, really great. Even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post post at indeed.com slash money nerds offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 job credit at indeed.com slash money nerds indeed.com slash money nerds terms and conditions do apply pay per qualified applicant not available for all users. If you need to hire you need indeed. So here's how this works. When you're starting to put together your budget, a budget is basically just a spending plan for your money. So it's saying this is how much money I make. This is how much money I spend. And then hopefully once you have the total income minus your total expenses, you're left with $0. We want to make sure that we are allocating all of our cash, all of the money we receive, all of our paycheck. Every dollar has a job. Every dollar is intentional. We're making every single dollar work for us. So that is one of the best ways to do. It's called a zero-based budget. You're probably kind of familiar with that if you listen to any financial podcasts, but that's the one that I personally recommend too, is making sure that you have every single dollar allocated. Now, 
keep in mind, we'll talk about too, when I say every dollar allocated, I'm not saying drain your checking account down to zero. I actually think that's a really terrible idea. We'll talk about that for sure. But one thing I do want to mention when you're creating your money plan, it's easy to overlook two items. Now, in my opinion, these are two items that are the most important things for your financial life. Truly the most important things. It's two things that I hope everybody includes in your budget if you want success. The first thing is PYF, which stands for pay yourself first. You didn't think you're going to get through a financial podcast, especially about budgeting without hearing pay yourself first, right? And then the second line item that I want you to include is your emergency fund. I like to call it an oh shit fund because frankly, that's how I view it. It's like, it is a true like, oh shit, I got to tap into my savings account. So that's why I like to call it that. But an emergency fund is what you need to make sure that you have a line item for as well. That is if you don't currently have one. So if you're still working on building up your emergency fund, cool, write that down. So what I like to do with any budget is I include those like an expense. So I'll have rent, I'll have all my utilities, I'll have groceries, I'll have eating out, I'll have my coffee budget, I'll have gas in my car, I'll have car insurance, I'll have all of those different things, I'll have pay yourself first, I'll have my oh shit fund. I have that stuff all detailed out in my budget. Now my emergency fund is full, so I don't have to have that any longer, but if I was building it up or my life situation changed, that's where I would have that. So those are two items that you must include in your budget. Now, let me give you some good guidelines because I know sometimes it's really hard to understand how much should you allocate to things like PYF or your emergency fund. So for paying yourself first, a good rule of thumb starting point is 10% of your income. You make $1,000, you save $100. And this is actually going towards retirement. A lot of people really, I don't know why we get so weirded out about retirement, but this is basically when you can officially have enough money to step aside and work because you want to, not because you have to. Like your investments are growing, they're compounding, they're constantly making enough returns where eventually your earnings and your compounding growth on your investments replaces your income. That's what we're talking about when we say retirement. So the starting rule of thumb is 10%. Now what this is meaning is you are automatically living on 90% of your income. Pretty cool, right? If you want financial independence or if you're in that FIRE community, most people are actually aiming for 50% of their income is what they're living on and the rest of that is going immediately towards their investments and their future. That is a little bit extreme for some people, especially if you're just getting started. So I don't want you to hear that and be like, oh my God, now I have to save 50%. That is a lot of money. I get it. And for some people, that's not quite plausible at this exact moment. But 10%, it kind of is. And I know this because I see a lot of budgets and I see people spend money on a lot of random crap that they really don't need. So that's why we're putting this on our budget is 10% towards paying yourself first. Now that second line item that I mentioned was your emergency fund. We all understand this. An emergency fund prevents a minor inconvenience from becoming a catastrophe because ultimately bad things are going to happen to every single one of us, and you have to be prepared. What I find is it's almost like when you don't have an emergency fund, it feels like you have a target on your back. It feels like every freaking bad thing is happening to you, and it's all at the same time, and for some weird reason, it comes in threes. Have you noticed this? It is the worst thing in the world. You'll have a flat tire, and you're like, dang, got a flat tire. And then when you're waiting for a tow truck, a rock will fly out and hit your car window and shatter it. And then 
You find out later that your dog's sick and you have to take him to the vet. Like all of this stuff always happens at the exact same time. It's so frustrating. But that's why we have emergency funds is because it does prevent that minor inconvenience from becoming that catastrophe. Because ultimately, I'm going to sound a little bit somber here. It's not a matter of if something bad will happen. It's a matter of when. And when you have money, it doesn't hurt you quite as much. So that's why that emergency fund is such an important piece of your financial life. So a lot of people say, well, how much freaking money do I actually need? That seems like a little bit too much. It kind of depends on where you're at in life. So what I tell my college students that listen in, if you are a college student and you have parents that will support you financially if something bad goes goes down, you probably only need between $500 and $1,000 sitting in a savings account separate from your checking account. That's the key piece. It must be separate from your checking account. Totally fine. But if you are a working professional and you're an adult and you don't have anybody you can rely on, like if something goes bad in your life, it's on you. I think a starting emergency fund of one month of living expenses is great. That's a good starting fund. Now, this is going to take a little bit of time to build up to. For some people, it takes years to get to that point where you have one month of living expenses. That's okay. Look, we're just, we're aiming for progress, not perfection. So if it takes you some time, give yourself grace. This is not going to be like an overnight thing, especially if you're just getting your finances in order. It's going to take some time and that is totally normal. Once you have that one month living expenses, that's when I would, in theory, recommend, I don't know your situation, so please take this as edutainment. I would then recommend starting to pay off your debt and you can use the debt avalanche. You can use the debt snowball. You can use the emotional debt snowball where you're paying off the debt that pisses you off the most. I learned this from my coaching client, Laura. I thought it was so great. You can do all kinds of fun things when it comes to your debts. Totally, totally fine. But ultimately, once you start to pay off your debt, great. Then you can start to build up that emergency fund even more. Now, remember a few minutes ago when I talked about not draining your checking account to zero, why I don't recommend that? This is how this works. I recommend keeping a buffer in your checking account at all times. So a buffer is not an emergency fund. It's not designed to be spent. It's to cover your butt. Have you ever overdrafted? I remember one time in my life where I would truly, because I was like legit broke, like I was I was doing my best, but I was still not so great with my income yet. And so I remember there were times where I would go to the grocery store and I would do what I call the swipe and pray. You're like, I hope to God I have enough money on this card. Like, shoot, it's stressful, right? If you've ever been in that situation, you know what I'm talking about. It is not a fun position to be in. And so what I found is that even though I started getting really good at budgeting, I started getting really good at this stuff. And I would budget everything down to zero. I do a zero-based budget. I would drain my checking account down to zero because I was trying to spend every single dollar I had. What I found is I had a couple instances where my utility bill was maybe 10 or 20 bucks more than I expected. And that would send my account into overdraft. Or I'd go to the grocery store and I only planned on spending $50 and it was actually $54. And if you don't really understand how this works, like that can make you overdraft. It's not fun. And so that's where this concept of a buffer comes into play. Now, the buffer is great because one thing is it's a minimum balance that you will always have in your checking account no matter what. So usually I recommend between $100 and $500. For me personally, it's $500. If I look at my account and I have less than $500, I'm like, what the heck happened here? I got to fix this. 
if I look at my account and I have more than 500 and all of my bills have been paid and I don't have to eat out, I don't have to go to a networking event or a conference or whatever the heck, then I know I've got a little bit of extra money that I can put into my investment account. So that's how I like to view this. The other thing that I mentioned that a buffer does aside from preventing overdrafts is it helps you break through the scarcity mindset. I don't know who the heck can look at their account and see $10 in there and have an abundant mindset. Like, I don't know, man, maybe this is just me. Maybe I need to do some more mindset work, but I have lived that life before and it did not give me a life of abundance. It gave me a life of stress and anxiety and fear and like, holy crap, I only got $10 in my account. This is terrible. And what that would usually mean is I would then borrow from my savings account and start this like really vicious cycle, right? I think we've all been there at some time in our life. It definitely does get better, but that buffer of having that minimum balance of $500 in your checking account at all times, in addition to your emergency fund, is so helpful. Game-changing, man. It is so, so good. So that is how I would start to embrace the emergency fund and have that work into your budget. So having that separate savings account for emergencies only, and then having that buffer that you keep in your primary checking account as a minimum balance so that you don't overdraft your account ever. That is how to work that angle. Now, when we're talking about creating a monthly budget, a lot of people always ask me this. They're like, do I use an app or do I use a notebook or do you have a journal? Like, how do I do this stuff? I personally, and I do this with my coaching clients as well, I love Google Sheets because I've got plenty of templates and lots of things that will really help with this. And so what that template will do is it's free. I have the Google Sheets app on my phone and then I have Google Drive on my computer, so it's pretty easy to access. So I still have access to my my budget on my phone and on my computer. So I have access to it every single place I go. If you're kind of curious what the budget template looks like, I highly recommend hopping over to whitneyhanson.com slash how to budget. I have a detailed blog post that walks you through step-by-step of this stuff as well. And it also gives you a free budgeting template. So if you're just trying to get started, you can see the exact process that I personally use. And I use this with my coaching clients too. It works really well. So that's where you're gonna start to create your budget. The thing to remember is that so many times people think that a budget is going to save their butt. It doesn't. A budget is just a plan for your money, but you have to check in with it regularly in order for this stuff to work. So if you've ever created a budget and you're like, ah, didn't work for me. I blew my budget every single month. It's probably because you weren't doing the work of checking in and holding yourself to money dates. So I want to share some tips and tricks that will help you stick to your budget because creating it is not enough. Sticking to it is the important piece. There's a few different really weird tips that I love and have used these in my own life. The first tip is to shrink your budget down and tape it to your debit card. I will write this down on a sticky note. When I was paying off my debt, this is what I did. It was really strange. I got a lot of weird looks, no doubt. But I would write it on a sticky note and say, here's my budget for groceries. Here's what I'm working towards. Here's my debt balance, like whatever. You know, right? I would have it all on this little sticky note and I would tape it to my debit card. And I remember one day when I was paying off debt, I had a really crap day during tax season. It was stressful. I was working two jobs. I was working like 80 hours. I was exhausted and frankly, just tired. And so one of the things when I was paying off my debt, I went 
extreme on paying off my debt and cut out eating out very, very little on groceries. I did not buy any coffee. Like I didn't do any of that stuff. I was trying to pay it off aggressively, mostly because that's my personality type. I have to be like very aggressive. I can't do things like, mm, like taking my time. I, I get burned out, man. I think that's my ADHD. Who knows? But I had that taped to my debit card. And I remember this day I had a crap day. I walked out to my car and I pulled out my wallet and on my wallet, I had my budget taped there. And I remember looking at this budget and thinking, well, shit, I don't see coffee on there. <laughs> it's not on my plan. And so I had this moment of like, all right, I committed to this goal. I'm going to stick to my goal because my goal is more important than my urge to go buy Starbucks. Like, I don't need Starbucks. I can walk back into the office and drink the crappy office coffee. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. So I did this like walk of shame back to my cubicle, made my coffee and had this humbling moment. And it was so important to me because that budget on my debit card, it's cheesy. I get it. I think being broke is even cheesier. So at that time in my life, I didn't really care. I was like, I don't, I don't care what anybody thinks because I have to find a way to work with my psyche and trick myself into sticking to my plan. And that was another little barrier to spending. The other thing about taping your budget to your debit card, every single time you have to swipe your card, you have to undo your budget. It's annoying, right? It's another barrier to spending. So anything we can do to kind of psych ourselves out and like really work with our mindset and our personality types will help you when it comes to your finances. Okay, ready for the next tip? This is also kind of a important one, not necessarily a weird one, but very important. It's to write down every single purchase in a notebook. Just keep a little spending log. And this is so critical because so many times it gets to be kind of a pain in the butt to write down every purchase, especially if you're swiping your card all day long. Then you start to notice like, my God, how many times am I swiping my card? This is a lot. It starts to help you become aware of that. And sometimes just seeing it and just that awareness piece is enough to help you shift some of those behaviors so that it helps you be a little bit better. It's the same thing that we talk about when it comes to fitness. Sometimes a lot of like diet coaches or nutritionists will tell you, write down what you eat in a journal. Don't judge yourself. Don't monitor, just write it down, just track it. And what that usually does is it helps you start to like naturally shift. You start to find patterns and you start to just make better eating decisions. It is a real thing. And that is a very real thing for your finances as well. Sometimes just the simple act of being intentional and writing it down, it subconsciously makes you make better decisions with your finances. It's just a really weird thing, but it works. Another tip, this is one I personally do. I do this if anything is going to cost me more than $100, I put that 24-hour think about it rule into place. Now, what this means is, yeah, let's say it's like a, a new blazer. I want to, I actually do want a blazer. <laughs> this is the thing. If it's more than $100 and I didn't already budget for it, I will think about it for 24 hours. I go home. I don't buy it immediately. I just let it sit and I let myself think, do I actually need this? Do I want this? Is it really that important? Now, sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. And so I think that's the important thing, but it really prevents you from extra impulse spending. Same thing when you go to the grocery store or like Costco. This Costco is the king and queen of impulse shopping, right? That is the whole goal of Costco is to get you to walk out spending more money. And so that applies there too. Maybe you see something you're like, oh my God, this new snack looks amazing and I think I need it. 
24 hour think about it. It's not on your list. If you still want it after 24 hours, go back to Costco, pick it up. It's one of those things that really does help you stick to your plan and ultimately avoid some impulse spending that you really didn't really need to do. The other tip and trick to stick into your budget is really be careful with eating out. I don't know why we think that eating out is an essential. I think it's great, but ultimately it's it's a nice to have. It's not a necessity. And so reminding yourself of that too, of like, hey, I enjoy eating out, but I don't have to eat out. I get to choose to eat out. It's one of those things where I see so many people spending a lot of money on eating out, a lot of money like to the tune of five, 600 bucks a month. And then they wonder why they don't have their retirement in place. And they wonder why they can't pay off debt. I'm like, dude, you're eating your money. That's why. And so just be really careful of eating out too. be intentional, have a plan for it. If you choose to do it, that's fantastic. But be very thoughtful when it comes to that, because that is a huge, huge budget killer. And then next to that is just be realistic. If you decide to cut something out, don't go cold turkey. Like most people do not have the personality for that. They just don't. So if you're trying to go cold turkey and you just like immediately cut something out, even though you've spent hundreds of dollars per month on something historically, it's probably not going to work very well. So you want to slowly cut things out, slowly reduce budgets, set little mini challenges for yourself to ultimately help you be better with money. So those are some of my favorite tips and tricks to helping you stick with your budget. Ultimately, I'd love to wrap up this section and this little mini masterclass with reminding you that no one is going to manage your money for you. No one's going to do it. No one's going to sweep in and save the day. You're not going to get more stimulus checks. No one is going to save you. Managing your money is your responsibility. It's something that you have to be proactive with if you want to find some success there. I hope that this episode is giving you at least the step-by-steps of what to do to get back on track, to get better at budgeting, to become a little bit more aware. I hope this episode was helpful in some way. If it was, do me the biggest favor and leave a five-star review. Your reviews mean so much to me. I read every single one and I just love seeing what your takeaways were and just hearing what you get out of this podcast. It means so much. If you haven't done so already, take a screenshot of this and tag me on Instagram to let me know that you're listening in. I am at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co. And I would love to connect with you and just hear what your money goals are. So please come say hi on Instagram. All right, guys, that is it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I will see you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds podcast. Bye. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.